Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Telekinesis, the laziest superpower of them all. Now, let's dim the lights with the remote control and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by The Scary Door. Through that door is candy filled with other candy and maybe (laughs) peanuts that taste like hamburgers. Step inside the scary door. Wednesday nights on NBC. Welcome, everybody, <laughs> to the pestle. I am Wes. And I am frightened. <laughs> I'm Todd. And we are filmmakers who like to analyze and discuss films from the standpoint of people, you know, who've done some of this work. Uh, certainly not all kinds, but we do a lot. I mean, in day-to-day stuff, we, we find ourselves doing a lot of corporate kind of work, like much of our listeners, I'm sure many of our listeners to more English it. And, but you know, we, we do a lot of creative stuff, short films, you know, uh, screenplays, you do a lot of music, uh, more on that to come. And of course, music videos, which is one of the freest, most inventive art forms out there. Like you would be surprised how many films steal from music videos. Like really, you know, it's there. There's so much more freedom because you can experiment at a very low budget, you know, and if it doesn't work, it almost doesn't matter. Cause okay. Instead of that 10 seconds, maybe let's shoot another different 10 seconds, right? Like the, the collaboration that can happen and just the, uh, the freedom of thought, the free expression is just so much greater. And so I shot a handful of music videos. My first several were for uh, the man himself, Todd. And I've shot, I think, one other, like, uh, I'm trying to think if I've shot any others that weren't you. And there was the one from James Huff. I'll link that. That one's uh, Super 16. And I know I've talked to other uh, musicians about shooting them, just never did. And I've been asked and, you know, said no to a bunch. I, I tend to want to only take music videos that I'm really personally connecting with the content or have an opportunity to to experiment and just have total creative control. That's re- that's really my bag is give me entire creative control and, you know, go away. Um, and very few artists want to do that for obvious reasons, you know, um, but I'm always scared, uh, to be honest. Um, music videos are are different. I, I always have nightmares about any project that doesn't go the way I want it to. Um, but there is a, sp- a special kind of terror that goes with music videos because I'm creating art that represents someone else's art. You know, you're dealing with another artist that their music is really important to them. I, I don't know. I haven't met any artists who are like, yeah, I don't care about that song. Do whatever. <laughs> like, no, if someone, if an artist tells you that it's because they really trust you and they respect you. And so this past yesterday, you know, I shot a music video um, and this is my first one in a few years. And I don't know, I I think I want to, you know, keep making music videos for all those reasons I was talking about, just creative expression, freedom of control and um, no boundaries. You can do anything you want with a music video and it works because it's a music video. No one expects a perfect plot and dialogue from a music video. It's all uh, whatever you want to do. It's all nonsense to some degree. Um, yeah. So yesterday, man, I am sore as hell today. Like my back is killing me. It feels like (laughs) I worked out and yet there will be no gains from that that experience. Tell Uh, me about it. How'd it go? 
it went pretty well. I think we, we've been planning this for roughly, you know, a month. Um, Scott came to me earlier this year. He, he has a buddy that he grew up with who just recorded an album last year. Um, and Scott was like, man, I want to make a music video for this guy. What do you think? Uh, and I wasn't super excited. Um, I don't, I didn't know this guy. His name's Matt Bozeman. Um, and I listened to, you know, the song and I wasn't particularly connecting with it. That's the thing with art. Some things you connect with, some things you don't, it's not a judgment against the art. Um, it's just the way it goes, right? It's, it's all, all art should be personal. Um, and I just wasn't connecting with the song. It felt a little broad and nonspecific to me. And so I was like, I don't know. Um, I listened to his other tracks and I found one that was specific and I really did connect with. Uh, and Scott was like, yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, that's a great song, but maybe some, I'm just thinking something easy, just a, a performance, you know, thing where we're in the studio because he's a manager of Orb Studios, a recording studio here in Austin. Uh, they've had like Bieber record there. Lil Wayne was supposed to be there uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and so they get some pretty good artists, you know, that come through big names. And so he's like, I, I want something that, you know, we can shoot in the studio. We have a nice studio. Uh, we can show it off a little bit and it's easy, easy to execute. Um, and then of course I don't want easy to execute. And so I came yeah. in, <laughs> it was like, look, yeah, I mean, we can do that. That's not fun for me. That's not interesting. I, I don't want to do just that. Like, how can we spice it up a little? And I started thinking about, little easy ways to spice it. Uh, and I was like, okay, what about a walkthrough? What if the opening shot is us walking through the studio? And I don't know, maybe we could just be from the doorway into the studio, like he's starting a session or something. Um, and so we explored that. And then we ended up, he was like, ah, you know, what might be cool is the the guitar room in the back. And so I was like, oh, okay, so let me show it to me. Let's see what that looks like. And I forgot to charge my batteries that day. And so we were like scrambling to get one shot of the, what that walk looks like in slow motion at first real time and i was like yeah that's fine but everything's cooler in slow motion let's see what that's like and it's a fast walk i mean it's almost like a, a red hot chili peppers under the bridge that final sequence where he's like running he's sprinting <laughs> at the camera it's, yes it's not quite that but it felt like it you know when you're executing the move yeah and so that was a really complex you know piece surprisingly it's going to look most complicated things that you're doing look super easy to the to the viewer, and it should. Uh, if something looks complex to the viewer, you might be doing it wrong. It should always feel super simple, super obvious, and super clear about what's happening. And so executing this move, that was a beast to get from point A to point B. And it's it, you're turning corners constantly, going through doorways, and I have to do this going backwards. Um, and so executing that move became, uh, a big challenge and we knew going in, that was a hard one. And so we scheduled everything in reverse. We were like, okay, the second half of the film, uh, of the short, of the music video, uh, is a bunch of performance stuff. It's, he got the band that was, that played on the record. He, Scott produced the hell out of this thing. Like my hat's off to this guy. Uh, cause he really was the engine behind this, this whole shoot scheduled everybody got everyone together you know scheduled the the location out um and so i was like okay we're gonna do this final scene and we're gonna do all this exaggerated lighting and, and so i was like okay let's let's do that first and that way the night before we can sneak into the studio you know whatever eight o'clock and we'll set up so that when we walk in the next day we are ready to go everyone walks in we start shooting 
And now we got the hardest part of the, the shoot done, which was the setup. Because the walk, that's hard to execute, but there's almost nothing to set up. The hard thing is just doing the walk. And so let's start with the hard thing. And then the rest of the day is so much easier. And so we had the musicians scheduled for four hours. Um, and we only took two and a half because we did the hard thing first. Cool. And so we broke the down, all the lighting. We shot all the other things and we got the, the band out and then we had to shoot the tracking shot. Um, and it just kept adding little wrinkles of like, okay, the first shot is with all these guitars. And when I saw the shot, I immediately knew I want to light all these guitars, uh, which meant getting individual lights underneath like 20, 25 guitars. Uh, and so that's a cost thing. First off, like, how do you get that many lights without breaking my artists? Uh, cause I'm not paying for this thing. Like I didn't take a payday for this one cause it was more of a favor for Scott. And later I got to know Matt and great guy. Like, you know, we kept doing the whole thing. Did we just become best friends? Like he kept, <laughs> he kept saying that like every time he would talk about a novel that he just read and I'd already read it or vice versa. I'm like, man, have you read this? He's like, yeah, man, that's like one of my favorite books. What the hell? Um, and he's a Shreveport, Louisiana. So he's got this thick accent. And so I saw these guitars and I was like, okay, I want to light them. But the thing is, to light them, we also need to dim the overheads in that room. Okay, that's fine. But then once we start executing the shot, I can't see Matt's face. And I really wanted to see his face, um, at least a little. Because then we walk down this dark hallway and there's a projector set up in the hallway. And so I was like, okay, Scott, can you... And Scott was like, you know what? I could dim the lights so that we start the shot where we can see the guitars with this you know, interesting lighting. And then as the, the scene starts, I fade the lighting on. And then I was like, okay, we're walking down the hallway. And I was like, I know we're not supposed to see him, see him, but I want to see a little bit of his face. And he was like, okay. And I started thinking about how to rig up a light. He was like, you know what? What about my iPhone? Is that, is that enough light? Um, and I was like, yeah. Oh, man, that's great. But here's the thing. Scott is also my spotter. And so because I'm going oh, backwards man. through all this. He's literally grabbing my, and there's a lot of ways you can spot like your, your camera operator. Um, one of them is to just pat them as it, let's say there's just a backward shot. You're walking backwards and there's a few obstacles here and there. Um, and you might just pat them on the hip or pat them on the shoulder. Uh, like I I've been a spotter on a couple, you know, films where, uh, the guy's walking through a crowd and there's a table coming up and I like tap him on the shoulder. And as a camera operator, his focus is on the composition. And so, so it's hard to feel and think at the same time. And so sometimes he'll respond, sometimes he doesn't. And as he gets closer and closer to the table, I start getting more emphatic and eventually shove him. Like if I don't, mm -hmm. and it's obviously it's not aggressive, like, oh, listen to me. It's no, it's like, yeah, you're about to ruin your I'm trying shot. to save you. I'm here to save you. Yeah. And I'm going to do that. And he, he feels it, but it, he doesn't. It's, it's a weird cognizant thing you know that you're in this out of body kind of place while you're shooting these things so scott has to it, his version uh that made the most sense is to grab my hips literally you know slow dance with me a spoon <laughs> not quite but uh -huh. like, i'm just picturing it. Yeah, nice. that's right okay. it's very gentle and loving um, <laughs> <laughs> and you know grab my hips and literally twist them around corners and um and i have to be loose enough to let that happen, but rigid up top enough that I'm getting all my shots. And so literally we turn multiple corners. 
um, go through doorways that are narrow and I'm trying not to bang my head hand into the door, which happened on several takes and you have to restart. So he's got already, he needs to guide me while looking where he's going. But then at the top of the, the thing too, he also has to worry about the lighting. Uh, so he's like a drummer. Like we're all kind of drummers. Him and I both mm-hmm. are like drummers handling all. And it's, it's, it's brutal, but, um, and then we have to do it very, very fast. Because yeah. Because you're doing motion. slow-mo. So yeah. Yeah. The faster so, you go so, on- like, like, like paint the picture, right? So if you're going to shoot something slow-mo, you have to shoot it at a higher frame rate. Is that right? A yep. higher frame rate and you have to move faster because you're going to slow everything down. So if you shoot at 60, you'll slow it down to 24, right? In post. Yeah. And so everything is going to look slower. Okay, cool. Yeah. Right. You stretch out all, like you said, if you shoot it in whatever, 48, 60 frames, uh, let's say 48, cause that's what we were doing 48. Okay. Um, and then in post you stretch it back out. And so it's not just, we're playing back those 48 and interpreted as 24. Instead, it's, we're going to take those 48 frames and now they're going to become like two seconds worth. Whereas before it was one second's worth. Now right. it becomes two seconds worth. And so it just moves slower. And the inverse of that is while you're capturing it to a music video, you have to play back at twice the speed. Right, right. And so now it sounds like chipmunks. And so from my perspective, everything looks fine, looks cool. But from Matt Bozeman's perspective, the artist He's walking and, and he's he's listening to his playback as a chipmunk and trying to keep in sync with that um, while looking cool or at least normal like a human. And then he's watching Scott and I. He was like, we finally wrapped and we got, I don't know, 10 or 15 takes. Scott and I are panting, literally. And Matt just starts cracking up. He's like, you guys have no idea how ridiculously y'all looked. <laughs> because because it. it's it's me walking and y'all are like, not just staring, but you're moving and you're, you know, popping your feet like you're running a football drill. And it's, <laughs> and, and it's just, y'all are choppy and it's just hilarious. He's like, I wish I would have got a shot of it from my perspective because y'all looked insane. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And it's it was it was a lot of work a lot of fun man it it very smooth you just never know how those things are gonna go some shoots you think oh this is like a six hour shoot and it becomes a 12 hour shoot yeah this one i thought was going to be like a 10 to 12 hour shoot and it was like eight maybe eight and a half oh wow okay we wrapped really fast and um felt like we got it all we'll see we'll see if it comes together in the edit were y'all using the a room to shoot in we did yeah nice it was available i love yeah. it that's that's the uh the benefit of having the studio manager as your producer it is you know and even <laughs> shooting in there man i was like we got to make a movie in here that was right yeah scott's already offered it up and i'm working on a new story that takes advantage of some of it um but describe what what is it what is an a room what why not a b room what's the difference oh okay well in every like um well, in most larger studios where you have multiple rooms where you can track in, there's one main stu- there's one main room, um, one main control room, one main uh, tracking room, and that's what they call the A room. And then you've got like, well, at, in Orb, you have B room and C room. B room is like uh, it has a, its own control room and its own tracking room, but they're smaller, um, usually used for, you know, if you want to get tight drum sounds or something, you know, it's not like there's no there's less room sound in it. It's, it's more mm. of like, I want to get, you know, like a tight sound. And then you've got uh, an orb, you've got a C room too, which is kind of a larger kind of mostly control room. 
uh, and then you've got some vocal booths and stuff. So it's not really like a you're not going to track drums in there. You know, you might put a guitar uh, amp or something in there to, to, to in the vocal booth to track guitars or you'll track just vocals or you'll use the room to mix in. And that's mostly what artists do in the C room is they they mix. Um, yeah, but the A room and it orb is amazing. Uh, they've got a Steinway in there uh, or is it a Baldwin? I think it's a Baldwin, actually. Uh, this big, huge, you know, grand piano. And and they've got actually two main tracking rooms in there as well. So it, it's it's gorgeous. Yeah, so that's what A room is. Yeah. Holy crap. That's really I already cool. I, I have a I have an idea. It could be a, the birth and, and death of a, a band all in one in one scene. <laughs> I could I can tell you exactly how that stuff happens. So I could I could be your advisor in that. You could shoot that really quick. <laughs> be a great short film. <laughs> Very short. Very short. Of like like oh yeah, that that's great. We should start a band. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? We're in here. Let's record something. Yeah. No, I hate that idea. That's a bad idea. What do you mean you hate that idea? Like are you serious? What I'm going to go get some coffee. I'll be right back. And you come back and they're gone. Like it's whatever. <laughs> really, re- I can tell you all the major pinpoint <sighs> moments that will that end bands. So that's so great. Anyway. Yeah, so it was fun, man. I anytime you get a chance to create with friends, you know, it's just a really good time. And yeah, hopefully I'll be making more stuff. You know, just want to keep busy, keep challenging myself, and you know, keep working on areas that I think are weak or. Uh, play with the ideas we were talking before the show and maybe i'll release it as a special episode uh, bonus app on on uh, the patreon but just you know the freedom that you can do with music videos is unlike anything else and i have all so many ideas that you know i've never gotten to try or do and why not experiment in music video form uh yeah yeah that's awesome, man. Yeah. So what are we taking a look at today, man? Yeah. So <laughs> so today we are covering uh, The Secret of Kells. So if you haven't seen this, uh, please pause this episode and go watch it. I don't believe it's streaming anywhere. Uh, however, you can rent it on like, uh, you know, Apple Plus and yeah, YouTube Apple TV I, and stuff. YouTube, yeah, Google I think. Play, yeah, yeah, YouTube. And, two bucks. I mean, it's, it's, it's not yeah, much. It's and, really cheap. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. And we'll take a look at a few things. I uh, definitely want to look at a lot of the story and writing, the dialogue. We'll look at, we'll talk about Ashlyn and Pingerbon. Um, we'll also look at some of the music and the art style and other such stuff and things and stuff. Yeah. So a quick synopsis of the film, a young boy in a remote medieval outpost under siege from barbarian raids is beckoned to adventure when a celebrated master illuminator arrives with an ancient book brimming with secret wisdom and powers. It's directed by Tom Moore, screenplay by Fabrice. I'm sorry. <laughs> Ziolkowski, sure. Featuring Evan McGuire as Brendan, Kristen Mooney as Ashling, uh, Brendan Gleason as the Abbot, and Mick Lally as Aiden. What are you doing in my first? You can come to spoil it, haven't you? Uh-uh. You were probably sent here by your family to get food, weren't you? Well, you can go right back where you came from. If you don't, I'll make the wolves get you. No! Uh, I didn't mean to. Look, I'm sorry, all right? I'm not here to get food for my family. I'm here to get things to make ink. I don't have a family, and we have food in Kells, so I wouldn't come here for it anyway. I was just a bit lost. You have no family. 
no. No, Mother. I'm alone, too. Oh, uh, if this is your forest, you must know everything about it. Of course. No, wait. Hello? No. Shh. Not so loud. Go away. No. Uh, wait, please. Do you know where I can find these? Yeah. <laughs> but you can't eat those. I don't want to eat them. They're for ink. <sighs> what is ink? It's uh, for the book. For making pictures. Liquid colour. You put it on pages. Well, like leaves. It's hard to explain. I suppose you'd have to see it. I don't know what you're talking about. And you don't want to know. But, Brother Aiden... I will help you find the things you want on one condition. You and your cat must promise to never come into my forest again. Uh, all right, then. We promise. Come on, then. So, I don't know it, how much you remember from the first viewing. I'm curious if you've seen it since then, and if not, like, how it how it holds up. So, I, um, no, I've only seen it that one time. Like, do you, do you remember watching it at, at my house? Uh, I don't know how many. Was that at your house? Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, I remember watching it, but I don't remember where hmm. I was. So, yeah, yeah, I guess so. I don't remember much about it other than the style. I do remember the style. Um, I think it just stays with you. It's, it's, there's something about, for me, about animation that, that like puts you into a world that I just really adore. And I think that's what makes it timeless. And by when I say puts you into a world, I mean, you know, it's one thing to draw a character doing something and, the setting that they're in. It's another thing to paint the picture of a world where you have a sky and you have a background and you have things happening around that character that immerses you. And this film is unbelievable at that. I mean, there's a, there's kind of like this, um, you just feel like you're there, right? You feel like, and wherever there is, isn't really specific like you don't have like a set's color of the sky right or like a set background it changes a lot but it's always prevalent it's always there and you feel like there's like this like a cloud cover hanging over them all the time you know because they're building a wall to protect themselves and everything and it's it's this it, even when he's outside of the wall in the in the forest you still feel you feel like you're in the forest because of tree trunks around you, right? You feel like there's a canopy of trees ab- above you, even when you're not seeing it. You just feel it, and and it does such a good job of doing that. I mean, I will say, I will say that, that to me, I feel like the third kind of section of it, I guess, kind of falls flat a little bit. It doesn't ruin the story for me when they become adults, or when yeah. he becomes an adult. I, I, yeah, yeah, like after the after the invasion mm. right you know i feel like they just rush through that a little bit rather than giving me a little bit of uh, a little bit more story there i mean or substance i wouldn't say story i don't necessarily need more story there's so much of it yeah yeah that maybe just a little bit more substance would have been like if it would have been three or four minutes longer you know mm. 
that's all I would need. And I wouldn't feel this way, but it's not enough to ruin the story for me. It's absolutely gorgeous. I love the kids in it. I love the idea of having this older, this older man or this older kind of like master guiding Brendan, you know, to find himself or to find the beauty in himself to be able to like, you know, he's working on this very important book and he's like telling him, telling the kid, Hey, will you help me with this? Rather than get out of my way, I'm trying to do my, you know, to be, to make this super important thing. No, I want you to help me with this. And bringing him in to the fold is such a beautiful message, right? Not just as like a parent, but as a grown up, you know, like recognizing that there's something in children that we don't have anymore as grown ups. There's something in children that should be celebrated rather than, than like told to, Hey, you know, stay in your lane, like stay where you are. I just thought that was super beautiful. I, I feel I felt like it was really good kind of marriage between uh, like Christianity and mythology. It felt mm-hmm. like it was I didn't know what, you know, the book is. Is it the Bible? Is it like a, a special book only for them? Is it is it based on what it's based on specifically? Like it it didn't tell tell me how to be it didn't tell me what to think in regards to my religion or if I had any, or if I should have any, it was just about the process. And I just, I, I thought that was really beautiful. I loved that the length of it, you know, like I said, it would have been nice to have like three or four more minutes at the end to dedicate towards that. Cause it just kind of ends. Right. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. like I, I, I wanted a little bit, I don't know. I kind of wanted a little bit more, but because of the buildup and the and the journey throughout, I, I it didn't ruin it for me. Like I enjoyed everything leading up to it. And then, but the biggest thing for me out of all of it, the biggest thing was the music. I was floored. Like it, this is a textbook, tell a story through sound, right? And I think your clip was a good example of that. I mean, if you listen to it, you know, there's this, when she's threatening him, there's a playful... Yeah. Um, kind of feel to the music. And so you don't feel threatened because it's playful. Yeah. But then the moment it gets serious, the music gets serious, right? There's more ominous tones. There's kind of like this, this feel of longing when he says he doesn't have anybody. And it, it's, it's instant. The moment he says something or responds in a certain way, it changes. And they use music and sound to, to tell that. Also, and at the very be- the very beginning, you can tell that it's going to be like that. Um, and I, when I say the very beginning, I mean like when you see the goose mm-hmm. at the very beginning, because not because there's any music, but because the sound is so prevalent. The sound of the flapping of the footsteps of the goose itself are so in the forefront. It's just everything is based on sound. And they, I think they started from that. Right. They're like, we're going to build this world sonically. And obviously, visually, you're going to build it. That's part, it's a film. You're going to build it. That's a no brainer. But if you start from the point of another sense of a sonic sense, now all of a sudden, you know that the visual is going to come. But you don't necessarily know that the that this the sonic aspect is going to come because that's usually thought of in at the, you know, like later on or whatever, like, what's this going to look like? No, no, let's start with what's this going to sound like? 
because the sound is going to tell you how it feels. You know, like you can always change things visually and, and I guess sonically you can, but if, when you start from someplace sonically, it's got to stay there throughout. And so if you start from a, a good solid foundation of, we're going to make this be, be very poignant, very pointed and everything that happens, I want to hear when you turn a page in the book, I want it to be very clear and crisp. You know, when you take a step, I want to hear that footstep. Uh, it's, it's going to be very uh, uh, aggressive, I guess, sonically. Mm. Then that changes also how you animate, right? Like, mm. and, and I thought that they did such an amazing job at that. I mean, I just, I kind of was watching it for the sound, honestly. Wow. So, anyway, Ooh. yeah, I loved it. Again, damn. Yeah, I mean that's interesting, uh, especially as a, an approach to where to begin. I like to be able to think about starting with sound and then building from there. I. My assumption would be the inverse that because it's about the book of Kells, um, which is just a pure visual masterpiece to really undersell it. Right. Yeah. Um, That, you know, you, you start there and you can say, okay, because I bet they had, there's, there's a lot of space about where are we going to take this? Is this going to be an adult cartoon, right? Um, This adult animation versus uh, more more audience friendly, um, and you know you can work your way around that. But I don't know. I mean, it, I love this movie so much; it stays with me. This might be the most rewatched animation for me um, outside of my childhood films. Um, and I think like there's a couple like Spirit of the Way and Your Name are probably catching up with The Secret of Kells. But I've seen this so many times because visually it's its own thing um the music is its own thing you don't hear this kind of music in animations i don't think um and i i love it so much and even just re-listening to that opening or that that meet cute you know between um brendan and ashlyn like it you could start to see how they thought about sound um because you're you're, i completely agree there's just so much thought about the soundscape um the instruments they choose seem to be different for everyone right the northman seems to be very drum heavy right high energy aggressive um whereas irishman um the forest and ashland seem to be lots of strings and harps and it's very flowing and beautiful and patient and peaceful and ashland it seems that they even reserve um adding in uh, winds like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll do a lot of woodwinds and that way the forest is invoked, right? The breath, you you often talk a lot about how, depending on the, the story, right? You want to hear the breathing because this is about human breath and um, life and life force. Uh, in this case, I would think it's more about the wind, right? And going through the woods and representing nature. And she's constantly flowing in the wind, right? Um, even when she finally says her name at the top of the, the canopy, you know, her wind is completely parallel to the land, right? Um, and it's just absolutely emblematic of uh, what she represents, which is, you know, some kind of fairy um, and some mythic spiritual, you know, creature of the forest. And I mean, I, you love her immediately, right? She's so full of, you know, attitude and sass and, you know, this kind of playfulness, like you were talking about, right? She pretends like, you know, oh, I'm going to eat you or whatever, you know, she says, I'm feed you to the, the forest or the wolves. the wolves. Yeah. And I love all that. And with her, having all this 
a lot of things they're they're doing so much because on the one hand she sets a rule immediately at this at the top which is I'm going to show you what you need then you are never entering my forest again. Now we have a hurdle. By the end of the encounter, you can come back with your cat, right? Like oh mm-hmm. you can come back with your cat. Now we have a place to go, right? Setting up this hurdle immediately gives you something to overcome for these two characters to then become closer. If she had said just, yeah, I'll help you, and that's that, it's not quite as interesting as creating an obstacle. And now you can create uh, depth and layers between these two characters. Beautiful touch. The other nice thing about introducing her in this way, she's high energy, right? She's just constantly popping in and out of bushes and upside down and uh, scaling and falling with ease um, is whenever we get to the end of that first section with them together, you know, um, we see him get curious about the, the, the cave and Krom Kruuk. And now we see a shift in her demeanor because now there's fear. She was running and commanding wolves and joking about death. And now you see fear in her and it's real fear. And all that bold, confident cockiness completely vanishes. Now we, the audience, know there's real danger if even she is afraid of something. And so that contrast really sets up so much opportunity uh, for the rest of the film. Um, But then on top of that, with all that playfulness at the beginning, she has that one brief moment where she talks about, I'm all alone too. Like, oh, she's got a backstory that we don't know about, but suddenly you just, you know, emotionally start connecting with this character. It's pretty masterful the way they just zip in and out of all of that within what yeah. two minutes. Yeah. Wow. They they don't do any fluff. There's no fluff in here at all. They get from one one statement that means something to the next, to the next, to the next. I mean, it's you know, they the way they, um, where is it? The way they establish, uh, where, um, Aiden, mm-hmm. right. Is, is great. He's mentioned as the, yeah. as the man. Right. And then we see him like pretty much right after a couple of minutes later, but it, but he's mentioned first. So it's not like he just appears and, Oh, he's this guy. No, no, no. Let's mention him first as like the man. And then Brendan wants to meet him. And then all of a sudden, boom, there he is. You know, they don't, there's no fluff about it, right? We establish, everybody's established pretty quickly as who they are. And we recognize that. And then it's just beaten into they are who they are. And then they're developed over, over time, over the next few minutes, over mm-hmm. the next 20, 30 minutes or whatever, into more of, you know, like Aiden is more, is, yes, he's great at what he does, but also, you know, he's like a grandfather figure or he's like a, a, a mentor, you know, and he's established more as that, you know, um, but there's no fluff around it. And I think that the style allows for that a lot. You know, it's we've built our own world here so we can do whatever we want and we will do whatever we want, you know, and I think that's one of the benefits to animation. It can be a little bit more aggressive in the speed of the storytelling yeah you know what i mean right like for one example i think at some point uh, towards the end when they were when they were being invaded they were rushing into the they were rushing into the the tower or to the tower and then all of a sudden you cut and they were in the tower right so i think if, if you were shooting that practically it you'd think what that's a weird jump yeah right but because it's animation 
you can do stuff like that where, oh, let's run to the tower. And then they close the door and the tower is there in the tower. Like, oh, maybe it was after the stairs fell when they were trying to get in the tower. And, um, oh, that's what it was. They were rushing to the tower. The stairs had already fallen. And then it cut to closing the door and they're in the tower. Well, how did they, you know, how did they get in there so quickly? Obviously, you know, it's, it's, um, what is the, what's the term suspension of disbelief is a lot higher with animation. And so you can get away with a lot of that and they take liberties in order to do that. Right. They're not Mm -hmm. going to belabor a two hour film like this, which would have been too much. Right. I mean, even an hour and a half might've been a lot. They probably could have gotten away with it somehow, maybe like extending, like I said, the third act, but uh, you know, it didn't, it's a great, what is it? 80 minutes? Not even like 70, 79. Yeah. 70. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's uh, the length is really cut down. It's impressive. Yeah. And to your point, like you don't have to worry about establishing shots and yeah, uh, continuity. And um, Mm -hmm. I mean the way, yeah, I cannot imagine shooting any movie the way you would shoot the way this is kind of shot and photographed um, and drawn out. Like it's so, it would just be way too chaotic but because of the palette, like the colors, you can much easier direct the viewer's eye and orient them so much faster um, by cheating and through a number of other tools and assets that I probably have no idea about. But yeah, it's it's super clever in that way. Um, and my last note about Ashlyn is, you know, we, we go through this whole initial meet and greet with uh, Brendan. And Brendan gets back and they make the ink. And what's the first thing that he draws? Flowers from the forest. And they're terrible, right? They're these childish little flowers. But it's it's a very light touch of what he's still thinking about, which is Ashlyn. That's where his mind is. Um, and what he experienced outside the walls. Because that was also his first time leaving, you know, this this place. Uh, and so it's really so much happening around her and her character and um, what she represents and, you know, not just for, uh, you know, Celtic and uh, Irish, you know, mythology and history, uh, but also what she represents to Brendan himself as a, as a character who's introducing him to the world um, and how there's more out there. Yeah. Great, great freaking character. The other character I really love, actually, and, you know, this might be unexpected is Pengerbon. Really? Yeah. I love Pengerbon. <laughs> And he's he's a great character because he's just this excellent little expositional tool for for the writers. Um, and that's part of the expedience that, you know, you were talking about, which is we get to hear what people are thinking and feeling through Pangerbon because people like talking to the cat. And that's just a way to tell the audience what these characters are thinking or intending or or feeling. You know, the cat doesn't speak, but it does react. It tells us how it feels about things through just simple visual communication. Right. So we can see, does it trust someone? And at first it doesn't trust Brendan, right? He's on the book. And then he's like, yeah, okay. I, I, I get a good vibe from you. Right. Um, is it scared? Right. In the forest, it splits. It gets a, it's a bad whiff, whiff of the wolves and it's just, I'm out, you know, how's it reacting to what's being said? Right. Because he comes back whenever the uh, uh, he's getting ready to climb the tree with Ashlyn. And she asks, uh, you have tried, climbed a tree before? And he's like, yes, of course. It's easy. And then we cut to a shot of Pengerbon. And he gives this doubtful side eye like, who do you 
you talking to? <laughs> like, what? what? <laughs> Bro, you ain't done that. Um, it is just great little visual communications. But Pangerbon is a great tool um, because his actions further informs the audience either to cue up tension, which is usually what it is, or just, you know, what to expect or um, if, if something is off. Um, yeah, it's just a great contrast to whatever's happening on screen. And so whenever it leaves, it adds another layer of tension for the wolves, for instance. Um, and it's just, it's one of those extra things. You talked about the music, but Pangerbond is also another way that they're communicating to the audience how to feel about something. That's a great point. So smart. It's really, really smart, especially when you're trying to keep the runtime down mm-hmm. and, and communicate so freaking much. Just an animal. People talk to animals, and so it doesn't feel expositional. Yeah. And because it's animation, you can really, you know, you can have the you can have the cat like raise an eyebrow or something yeah. or kind of like, you know, tilt a head in a certain way that makes you understand what it's communicating a little bit more. Absolutely. Yeah. Because in yeah. I would say there's a lot of films that try this technique in live action and like 70, 80% of the time, I'm just kind of rolling my eyes. Like "Eh, we're not having that long of conversations and getting that much out of our animals. Now I know a lot of people do, but in a movie that my suspension of disbelief stops. Yeah. There, there are some movies that do a really good job of that. And so I'm not saying that, you know, they're all like garbage, but I am, you know, and those are great when it works, it works so, so well, um, and, and helps, but because it is animation to your point, it's so much easier to just go with it and have the animals reacting in a way that communicates something else to the audience. Really genius. The other cool thing about Pangerbon is that name Pangerbon is a poem. And so that whole character is based on a poem about a cat from around maybe like the ninth, ninth century. So like from the eight hundreds. There was a poem uh, that that was written about a white cat. Yeah. And it's, uh, I'll link it in the show notes. um, If someone wants to read the poem, it's not very long, Um, but it's just about a a, a scholar basically who's writing about his cat, a poem about his cat and, and comparing the way the cat pursues mice and, you know, it's joys in the same way that he pursues um, scholarly stuff pursuits. Um, That's basically right out of the wiki. Oh, Um, that's cool. Pretty cool. God, uh, this movie is aching with thoughts. Twelve hundred years ago. Yeah. Wow. It's one of the oldest, most famous um, Irish poems. Yeah. Pretty. That's amazing. Freaking cool. Wow. My last note on dialogue or on story and writing is about the dialogue, which is to say dialogue is tricky. And this kind of movie, very, 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 very tricky because it needs to feel authentic. Right. This is you know, a very old story, you know, not that the story is true. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit, but, but because of the era that it's set in, it needs to feel some layer of authentic. Right. And so on the one hand, you know, part of that is the accent, um, which doesn't seem like much of an issue naturally, right. Just cast Irish people. But the thing is they can't be too thick or else, you know, it's maybe not as accessible to foreign audiences. You know, in cartoons, the the big thing is make it very articulate, make it easy to understand what everyone is saying. And so you usually get that with cartoons is more articulation and enunciation. Um, and of course, that's really, really well. And you still hear, you know, the Irish accent without struggling too much. Uh, there's probably one or two words. Where it's more of the word itself isn't familiar than uh, the accent is the trouble. Um, like Crom- 
Crom Krill, I think is, uh, one of the words in there. And I was like, what, what is he saying? Um, and that took a lot of Googling, uh, but we'll come back to that. And so that's one of the things with the dialogue. The other thing is word choice is really important, right? This is a period piece. And so, um, it's also based loosely on real people and ideas. And so it needs to feel honest and real. And so figuring out the word choice is, you know, paramount, you know, uh, importance, but, it's an animation, right? Which also implies accessibility to kids. And so the word choice can't be too archaic or sophisticated or else you're going to lose half your audience. Um, and arguably the more important part of the audience, even though this plays really, really well for adults. Um, another thing we'll come back to. And so the results of all that dialogue, you know, finessing is simple, simple dialogue. It's very blunt. It's not super flowery or long-winded. Right. And there's no slang or contemporary references. Instead, it's very direct um, and using very fundamental word choices and just kind of relying on the context and, you know, accent and uh, the confrontational elements to build out the rest of the, the world um, as far as uh, dialogue goes. Yeah, really, really well executed and thought out, I think. Totally. I, I like everything that nothing is said that isn't necessary to move the story or uh, along or to at least establish an ex a thought or an expectation like it 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 does a really good job of that and i think that a lot of a lot of times um screenplays can can learn from something like this you don't need like i don't i don't necessarily think that every single screenplay needs to have no exposition or to have a purpose for every single word that's said like sometimes it's good to get lost Mm -hmm. You know, or to like, you know, real life, a lot of things are said that don't mean anything or that that don't have a purpose to move a, a narrative forward. Right. That's mm -hmm. OK. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of times where things get long winded that don't need to be or a scene can be cut because it's, you you know, maybe this the screenwriter thinks that it's necessary, but really, it, is it really, you know, yeah. probably not. Oh. And so I think maybe taking a page from a story like this where every single thing is is every single thing that said has a purpose can kind of realign your brain to think do i really need that you know or do i just have that line in there or the this 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 scene in there because i like it well that's okay and that's also okay too as a screenwriter and as a, a filmmaker if there's just something you like you just do it that's fine but also, is it serving the story? You know, mm -hmm. you got to kind of like ask yourself that. And you're right. This does a great job of everything serving story. I mean, a good example of that is pretty much anything that Abbott says is <laughs> is so like like narratively driven um, and pushes this. Anytime you see him on screen, you're like, OK, what's he going to say? Because <laughs> yeah. that's going to push this thing forward. <laughs> um, and it always does. It always does. It gives a lot of context to to scenes as well like when he's in the tower also like pretty much you know you need a little context of why are we in this tower and what is you know you see all these things on the wall it's like like and he does a it does a really good job of establishing um anything he says establishing why we're there and and what's going to happen next or what he's afraid of happening you know like why are we building this wall you know things like that so love it as far as art goes like they do a I mean, they're, they're doing so much, a lot of different styles, right? The first most, most obvious thing is the normal kind of flat styling that they do. Um, it seems 
obviously inspired by the book of Kells. And I was scanning the wiki, looking up something, trying to find Crom Krill and some of these other things. But and and saw the the director also said that it's also meant to invoke like stained church glass. Mm. So it has this kind of feel. And I was like, oh, I can see that. Uh, It's really cool. Really cool idea. Um, Not a ton of depth of field. Right. Um, That goes to the flat styling, which is, you know, if you look at pages from the book of Kells, right, there's no depth, right? It's very specific in its styling. And but there are some moments where they do these little rack focuses at the beginning of the film. And then at least one other time, whenever uh, she spots the spider on the web and they do a rack from the spider to her and the cat. And so a lot of false perspective um, is what the director called it again in that same little glance. Um, he called it, you know, false perspective where it's just about framing things and, you know, doing the simple things instead of trying to create depth through shadow per se uh, you're doing it through sizing things um, within the frame itself. Uh, it's, it's so beautiful. The other style, they play with some other styles that are still in that same, you know, thought, but helps you understand that now you're out of this normal world because if you want to insert some other conceptual ideas, you don't want to confuse people by thinking, wait, where did we just go? No, instead like Brendan is in his rooms trying to scheme up a plan. Right. And so he grabs some chalk and he starts writing out on this tablet. Oh, I could sneak in through the wall through this way. Right. And it becomes this black and white thing with chalk and that chalk becomes important later in the film. We wouldn't know that at the moment, of course, but it's another one of those efficiency things like, okay, we're going to see what the problem is, how he's going to solve it and get the idea that he's afraid of trying to do this in the first place, all through this little cutaway, this insert of him drawing his, his plans. And it becomes a whole new animation. Another little styling they play with is uh, with the nightmare. Um, He's having this nightmare about Crom Kruik, Right. And it's this weird, sickly green texture to it. And he's uh, going through all this stuff and it's terrifying. And yet, you know, that's its own nightmarish quality. And yet, whenever he actually goes into the cave, the Dark One's cave, and fights Krom Kruik, it's very similar. It's not exactly. They still have a stylistic difference. uh, But a lot of the colors he experiences are, are similar, have this kind of sickly, you know, tinge to it. Um, when he goes into the the cave. And so it's almost like, again, he's entering now physically his nightmare and he has to face it. And so they're just a really great, you know, cohesiveness uh, that they're doing in this film, even though they're exploring to me a whole new style or at least one that I haven't, I wouldn't relate to anything obvious. Yeah. And to me, this whole thing feels like peak art to me. Like this is the best of what art can do powerful story beautifully told and it's unconcerned about fitting in with trends right it didn't go the disney route it didn't say oh how can we sell the best instead it said what makes the most sense for this story right um and so it focused on its own style rooted in the story itself um and that's where they got all the inspiration and all the styling it became its own thing and it you know did pretty well in award season and it builds on history and historical mythology, which invites exploration and therefore keeps its history alive, right? Who is Ashlyn? You know, what does she represent? Who, what is Krom Kruk? 
what's that little stone clearing where Brendan meets Ashlyn, who is, you know, column kill, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, what's the book of Kells? Like I went to Ireland uh, a few years ago on a, uh, on a shoot and we spent an extra week there and I was in Dublin for a few days and I went, I wanted to go see the book of Kells. I only knew about it because of, you know, this movie, I'm sure I'd heard reference to it here and there, but didn't really get it, you know, until watching this movie. And I just became really curious, like what is exactly the book of Kells? And broadly, it's just uh, it's, it's a bunch of paintings and it's about the four gospels of the Bible, the New Testament. And so it's just kind of visually telling that and uh, that kind of thing. Look into it and, you know, don't let me be the definer here. Uh, there's so much beauty in it to explore. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see it in person. That was really disappointing, of course. Uh, there was a crazy line out the door um, and I just didn't plan my day for it uh, properly. And so, but that library itself is called the old library. And I guarantee everyone listening has seen pictures of this library. It's one of those mm. famous, just unbelievably beautiful artifacts almost. It just feels too picturesque to even exist. And it's so gorgeous. Uh, it's, it's at Trinity University in Dublin. And next time I'm in Dublin, which I do plan to go back, uh, Ireland was the first place I ever wanted to visit like in my life. Uh, I was like 14 or 15. I, there was some kind of trip going into Ireland. I was like, man, I would love to see Ireland. I told my mom, I was like, Hey mom, I want to, I want to go to this. I want to go to Ireland. And she was like, yeah, how much does that cost? I was like 1500 bucks. <laughs> she was like, yeah, good luck. You know, <laughs> Let me know how that goes. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Heart shattered, but I, uh -huh. you know, I eventually got to go. So yeah, uh, worth it. Worth it. Um, favorite place ever. And so, you know, making a movie like this invites you exploring the history of so many things, uh, whether it's the, the Christian, you know, Irish relationship or it's, you know, pre-Christian, which is Krom Kruik is, you know, pre-Christian. It's one of their older um, spiritual uh, mythology characters. Um, and there, there seems to be a lot with Krom Kruik, but it does all of that, explores all of that and creates its own story enabled in order to do so right so it's adding something new instead of just repeating something else mm -hmm. and so you you get a chance to uh especially if you're familiar with all those things to experience all those stories again in a completely new way or be introduced to it for the first time like i was and then on top of that oh my god there's so many layers to to think about in this story right connecting with nature um survival versus art and maybe how they're more uh, connected together, right? Survival and art more connected than we appreciate story about doing what we're told versus doing what we love, um, obedience versus passion. Right. Um, and the one that I didn't even think about is, you know, mentorship. What's, what's it mean to mentor someone and, um, uh, the responsibility there versus, uh, being the mentor, what's it mean to, you know, be under someone's wing. Like there's so many thoughts and layers that, that are, you know, all throughout the story. And on top of that, it's suitable for everyone, right? This really doesn't annoy outright or eliminate any demographic. Um, it's, it's accessible to pretty much everyone. I don't know how you feel. I would think this is, uh, if your kid can watch Moana, I would think she can watch, or he uh, could watch, you know, Secret of Kells. It, to me, I mean, that's more of a parent call, of course. And, and yeah. it does all of that efficiently in less than 80 minutes. Like, I don't know how much better you could make an art film. I do agree with you. Like uh, that extra three to five minutes at the end would probably 
be really well served about just his journey filling up the rest of the book and yeah and maybe hearing about more about the history of you know who started this and why or whatever i'm sure there's something else to add there i'm I'm glad that if they didn't think they could do it right that they didn't do it but i would have hoped uh to your point that you know that there would be like there yeah they feel, I mean, after getting through this movie, they feel pretty infallible to me. Like you can do yeah, whatever you I'm want. pretty sure they could figure a way. I mean, <laughs> right. they figured out every other thing that we wouldn't have thought about. Like they're very good storytellers. And yeah. I, even, even at the end in that third act section where he, Brennan and Aiden, like walk off. I love, it's so brilliant how they three panel the, uh, the screen. Yeah. And as they're walking through each panel, they get a little older, a little older. Yeah. He gets a little bit bigger and, and I, it's just so brilliant. It's such a wonderful, uh, you can call it a montage if you want. I guess it is, it qualifies, but it's just like a wonderful uh, artistic decision instead of, you know, they could have done it in, in, you know, a filmic kind of way, but um, they made it artistic with, with the three panels and each of them are designed, right. Almost mm. like pillars it's it's really beautiful and so and then the house gets built right i didn't need to be in the house i didn't need to like have that but i needed to have a little bit more just a little bit more substance of what had happened throughout that time or his journey back maybe to kells or mm. or you know maybe a little bit more in the room i i guess with the abbot and and it's just a little bit more, maybe it's a little bit more of all of that, mm. even if it's just 30 seconds to a minute, you know, and then, and then all of a sudden you've got four or five more minutes, but it's more establishing, I, I guess. I don't know. Or I'm completely wrong and it's perfect as is. I'm not sure, but agreed. I, yeah, yeah. I think the best thing you can possibly do in any movie is leaving the viewer wanting more. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, maybe I'm wrong, you know. I love it so much. I think there is one moment that if you're not won over yet, you reach a certain moment and it just knocks you down. And it's uh, this moment right here. So good. I think it's such it's such a great opportunity to create an obstacle for your character 
that you're like, okay, you know, how do they get out of this? And it's a, an opportunity. It's like, okay, we get a chance to demonstrate another layer of Ashlyn's power um, and her investment in this whole thing. At the outset, she's like, stay out. Now she's like, come out. Let me help mm. you. Ooh. Mm. And just beautiful music. It feels yeah. very cultural, right? I, I'm assuming that's Gaelic or some kind of uh, older Celtic language. Um, and it just feels like another expansion of uh, mythology and uh, culture, you know, heritage. And just just so many opportunities that they didn't want to waste a single minute. The efficiency and, and beauty of this film is otherworldly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and such a great clip because they like the lighting. Like, I don't think that you think about lighting when you think about animation, right? Yeah. Because you don't think about a camera, yeah. right? But it's so amazing in this. I mean, from from her, her sitting in the window with with the cat to when, uh, what's his name, uh, Brendan gets out. When he, like, gets out and he's standing in the room looking around. It, it The darkness in the background right as a juxtaposed to the lightness of where he's standing is with the music just like oh my god i am in that room with you yeah. right now it may it makes me feel like that and um the curious the curiosity the curiousness that he has of what's happening and mixed with the darkness of the room is so good <laughs> it's like you're right it's one of my favorite moments of the film oh slayed me yeah. i just remember watching that scene and like you turned around after that scene you're like oh my god <laughs> that was literally what she said yeah. like, i said that yeah oh well there you go <laughs> oh, it was just incredible yeah i mean just masterful work i i really yeah. can't speak highly enough of it if you haven't seen it by this point you know obviously uh i'd recommend you do so <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, and it's an easy, I feel like it's an easy, I, I would argue to anybody who like, when you sit down and you're thinking, oh my gosh, an, an animation and it's this, this kind of animation, it might be slow or whatever. Just keep in mind, it's a very quick watch, right? It goes by very quickly and, and scenes aren't belabored. And even if you're like a grown up and you're thinking, I don't want to watch an, a, a cartoon, cartoons are different i can't you can't call this a card i mean i guess you could call it a cartoon but like you call it a piece of art honestly uh because it it's not what you think it's not like you're watching wally coyote for an hour and and 20 minutes <laughs> you're you're watching masterful filmmaking mixed with masterful artistry mixed with masterful sound uh and, and i would i would just uh encourage you to just force yourself to sit down for 30 minutes yeah. if it doesn't have you in 30 minutes then it's not for you then that's yeah. okay if it's not but if you don't even give it a chance you're you're missing out missing out and i can only imagine how freaking fun it was at the end of the film you know they they start animating the book itself and yeah. i can only imagine how fun that was for the animators um, because this is the, the first instinct watching something like this is, Oh, I wonder if this was, you know, animated in like after effects, this is hand drawn. Yes. This is very explicitly and painstakingly created. <laughs> like, uh, yes. I, I remember after looking it up, watching it and looking it up, I found the forum where someone was making that like argument. Oh, this is easy. You just make this in after effects. And 
like one of the animators jumped on actually and he was like i worked on this and no (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not (laughs) yeah well that's man that brings up a whole nother conversation of look computers are fantastic and amazing and and incredible but i think that part of the problem with you know the after effects i guess mode is that it it's so easy to dismiss artistry as that's computer generated so so that whenever you know something is actually hand drawn instead of saying how amazing is that you say well why didn't they just right and i think that a lot of people do that like oh "Oh, it would have been so much easier like why didn't they just use it in after do you know do this in after effects well well for a lot of reasons but and we talked about this before this podcast too we talk about it so much about it being the journey Mm. not the destination the 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 love of making a film like this of hand drawing a film like this is comes across it's the same as as putting love into something that you're cooking and it tastes different you can't put a finger on on it you can't really describe it but in the end it matters i've seen some incredible whatever after effects and whatever animation tools you want to call um into and, and a question like amazing work but there is so much more emotion in the pencil yeah because it's coming out of a human being yeah. that i just like as much as i love arcane and that's an incredible story i think it's some of the best you know animation i've, I've seen in the last 10 years it still doesn't hold a candle to the emotion in every single frame of the secret of Kells. It's just, yeah. it's not the same. Um, and that human touch is the very core of uh, what we're talking about and, and telling a human story. You just can't beat it. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, this is the same kind of like argument that I make about, you know, all this AI mm-hmm. um, with, with music. And I just think, you know what? I'm not worried. Yeah. Like, I, I think that, I think that of course there's going to be stuff that's generated that's fantastic and it's going to be amazing and it's going to be, but it's just a tool. It's the same thing as when computers came out and everybody said, Oh, computers are going to ruin music or whatever. No, they're going to help a lot more people who can't make music, make music. And that's what it's done. But no computer can put your emotion into something. And it's the same. I think it's the same when it comes to after effects and, and um and cg and everything it's a ma- an amazing tool but if the people around it aren't involved aren't heavily involved and aren't putting their artistry into it then it's going to fall flat i mean one of the reasons why you know jurassic park is as good as, is the performances around it you know and i think that this is says a lot about about that it's all hand drawn and and every with every frame you can see that. And I think that also, if you think about, I'm going to hand draw every single frame, that has a huge impact on the amount of effort you put into everything else around it, mm. right? I'm not going to painstakingly draw every single frame for an hour and 20 minutes and then kind of like put the so- the sonic aspect on the back burner. Like, no, 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 no. I spent, <laughs> I spent hundreds of hours making this. It's going to sound as good as it possibly can. You know, as opposed yeah. to as opposed to, oh, that scene took me, you know, you know, seven hours to render. Well, uh, instead of that, well, this scene took me, you know, like three weeks to render. I want it to sound great, too. And so that probably has a lot 
to do with all the other aspects you you like look at and the music too the same thing there if you're going to spend the time and the effort in on one aspect why cut the corner on any other you know i'll bet that has a lot to do with it too so well said that's crazy that it's hand-drawn yeah just yeah what artistry what you know freaking artistry that's pretty much all i got man yeah Uh, yeah i i adore this movie uh from the first time seeing it until now it still holds up and this will be one for the for the ages i think yeah agreed agreed yeah Uh, that's i just said my final thoughts it's it's fantastic it's an easy watch um even if it's not your your bag like animation is not your bag i think this is a good way into that kind of thing and then like if you're not into if you've never like kind of you know been you know the miyazaki route where you know Mm. this is a good way to start because it's not super heavy you could watch it with the whole family yeah there's a few violent parts but violent you never see it right they do a really great job of insinuating but not seeing you feel it more than you see it but it's real you know it's kind of it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh the don bluth films back in the day of like the darkness and how important that is for children to understand that the world is not just you know sunshine and rainbows that there is darkness and that there and that they have to overcome it and they have to find ways to be strong and that actually strengthens them a lot knowing where to put their emotions you know because kids have a ton kids if you think about kids their emotions are either 100 percent or zero half the time they can't regulate them they can't mm. regulate sadness and 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 fear they're either all scared or at a moment or they're all sad and every the tiniest thing will destroy them and so being able to to communicate that there are places for these feelings and that you can feel a little sad, but also feel happy at the same time. You know, that's important. I think this film does a great job of doing that. So it's, it's great for the whole family. It's an easy, quick watch. Uh, and that could lead to some other really wonderful, um, uh, films like what one we're going to do next week. Yeah. Foreshadow. Yes. Nicely said, man. Damn it. What, uh, In F. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, are you, what are you gonna recommend this week, man? Uh so I was just I had a, a a thing that happened this week and um it really upset me and and it this uh, it's a roundabout way of saying this, whatever. I'm gonna recommend a book, one of the only books that I've read. I'm not a huge reader, but I'm gonna recommend Start with Why, uh by this uh, author named Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. Um, he's a he's a speaker and he speaks about business and he speaks about like like management specifically and how to manage people and the best way to do that and what kind of managers we're lacking that we need, not just in business, but in, in life in general. And the Start With Why book is is really it's it kind of has now that I'm a manager, I get to implement some of the things that I've wanted to implement hmm. based on this book. He's written a lot more since then, but this was his first book. Um, but what happened was on Friday, and I'll be very quick on Friday. Uh, so I had a, I had our, our director, our department director put a meeting on, on our, the book, on our books for last Friday for everybody in the department on under me. And, and then at the last minute he pushed it until, till this Friday, that was a little annoying, but it's fine. He's a, he's a really important high up guy. 
Well, the, the meeting on Friday, this Friday was supposed to be for seven o'clock in the morning, my time. Fine. It's he's in India. It's the only time mm-hmm. that he could do. It's late for him. All right. No problem. We get 20 minutes into the meeting. He's still not there. And then find out that that, oh, he's he had some quote unquote emergency that he couldn't attend. And the old me would have been like, OK, that's all right. You know, just deal with it. It is what it is. Right. But uh, the the friend of Wes Heidenreich um, understands that that is not acceptable, that that is something that is a conscious decision. What? Amen, brother. It, yes, <laughs> it is. It was a conscious decision for it either was conscious or unconscious and either way is unacceptable. If it was unconscious, that means you don't care enough for the people that you are taking an hour from who are actually the people who are doing the work that pay your bills. Who, that, that pay your salary or it was a conscious decision which is just as unacceptable in which case you snub us don't tell us about it until 20 minutes into the meeting that you're not at that you're not coming to and it just made me think i will never be that i will never the whole point of of my job as a manager is to take care of the people who are doing the work that help to to pay for everything around us right what do you need? I'm here for you. Yeah. Right? He should be that way. Yeah. What do you need? I'm here for you. Not 20 minutes into a meeting, I've already rescheduled at seven o'clock in the morning your time and I'm gonna bail. Like, no. It's it is a complete opposite from what I stand for. And it really upset me. And so I that's why I wanted to recommend this because it's it's he talks about stuff like this. He talks about like why we do what we do. And why it's important to us and how to ask that question. And then um, also what the types of people that we need, not just in business, but in life in general of like, and you talk about this all the time, respect for other people and, and having respect for yourself to where you're not going to put up with stuff like that. And you've taught me that a lot over the years of like, of like, you know, I am never late to things with you. I'm late to everything (laughs) all the time. I'm I'm being very serious right now. I'm late to everything all the time. Every single meeting in my work, I'm like a minute late always. But that's partially become because I'm coming from another yeah, meeting. Exactly right. You know, like. But I always I always say I'm sorry. I never bail on anything. If I say mm-hmm. I'm going to be somewhere, I'm always there. And and, but especially with you, I'm never late. And if I'm going to be late, I let you know. Which is because all I ever res- really want. Yeah, because I respect I respect you. I respect your time. I know that you do thing that you do things very pointed in your life, and I uh, assume that everyone else is that way too. And so I try to act as such. And yeah, so anyway, that's what I'm going to recommend. So it was a long winded thing, but it's a story nonetheless. Well but. said. Hell no, I'm I'm all for it. Anything that gets the message out, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. No, yeah, and there's grace, obviously, but. Patterns are, are, are what upset me, right? And same thing with you. Like, he, okay, you couldn't make it. You know, that's fine. Reschedule, that's fine. You do it two, three, four times. Now we're talking about a pattern of disrespect. Yeah. And now it's like, we need to address this at some point. But yeah, there's grace, you know. But whenever you take advantage of someone's grace, now you're just, like you said, you're not really respecting someone now. Now it's uh, becoming a little bit more personal. And uh, my time is valuable to me. I, you know, if I craft, time out of my day for you i literally plan my day around that 
the rest of my day is scheduled around you and I, whatever, going to Starbucks at 5 p.m. That means I need to be wrapped up with my work by 4 or 4.30, which means I need to start my day, you know, at X time. Like I plan it so that I can be respectful of your time. And if I get there at five and then someone texts me at, you know, five and said, Hey, I'm running 20 minutes late. No, you knew that 20 minutes ago. Yeah, exactly. Uh, why didn't? Yeah. And so I tried to be very respectful of other people's time and there's grace, but I generally expect, yeah, the, the mm-hmm. same treatment, you know, where possible. Um, yeah. Emergencies happen, but if you're constantly late all the time, no one wants to hear about your emergency anymore. <laughs> right. 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 And if you don't even show up to the meeting to tell us that there's an emergency. Right. Oh. Man. And you're 20 minutes late. Yeah. Anyway, well, that, yeah. I'm off my soapbox. What's great about that recommendation, though, is I'm also recommending a book. Um, oh, nice. So, so many books. So many books. Too many notes. Um, <laughs> and so I wanted to really recommend a Sally Rooney book because she's an Irish author. And Ireland has an incredible track record of uh, amazing authors. Um, and Sally Rooney is uh, a contemporary author, and she's so, so good. She wrote Normal People and Conversations with Friends. I just read my first book of hers because I watched those on Netflix. I didn't read the books. I read her latest book, uh, uh, Beautiful World, Where Are You? And I just loved it. I love her style. She has her own voice. And yet I'm recommending another book by an American, Circe. It's by Madeline Miller. And it's the book I've always wanted. I just, I almost can't believe it exists. Now, everything, like I said, art is personal. And so for me, this might actually become my favorite book ever. I need to, I don't want recency bias to like kick me in the butt here. And so for now, Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises is still my favorite book. But if after 12 months, I still feel this way, uh, it gets officially kicked off, Um, which is Circe is a book about uh, a titan, a goddess, uh, so to speak. And so it's all about Greek mythology. And I've always wanted a really rich story about Greek mythology. Instead, movies and uh, I don't know if I've ever read a lot of books about, you know, Greek stuff. Um, but films tend to only do them in this either abstract way or very over the top and um, just kind of silly way. Like Wrath of the Titans and the other one. Um, like, it, I don't know. It just feels too theatric mm-hmm. and doesn't feel lived in doesn't feel authentic and grounded right you can't smell the dirt and 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 hear the birds right um you don't feel the time pass it just feels like thunderbolts you know and it's almost like a freaking cartoon and so circe is a book about greek mythology from told from the perspective of greek you know mythological characters and this one in particular is circe she's a god of helios um and uh, or, or she's a Titan. Um, she's a daughter of, of Helios, I meant to say. Um, and so it's just tell, her telling her story. And through her, you experience all these other Greek uh, legends. And it's so good. It's something I've always wanted. I've always been fascinated with Greek mythology. It's my favorite. Uh, underneath that would be Egyptian mythology. Um, and I'm a casual lover of Greek mythos. And uh, if you know me at all, you, you, you that's obvious. Like, my company is Icarus burning, right? It's, it's all, uh, uh, yeah. And seeing like, I don't know, Mario playing kid Icarus, uh, was really fun to me because that was my first inkling of 
Icarus, what's that about? And then I start diving into uh, Greek mythology and I just became uh, not obsessed because I, I don't know that much about it, uh, but I love it so much. And I've wanted for a long time to write stories around Greek mythology and, and in Greek, ancient Greece and uh, with just simple dramas without the gods and all those things. And to read this story, this is the first book I've ever read that I was like, I would give anything to adapt this. I've never wanted to adapt anyone else's work before. I, I have a compulsion that I need to write my own work because I don't really understand other people's writing all the time. I struggle with that. Um, and so reading something that I could see in my head was it's rare. And I'm like, oh, if they make this, you have to do it in this way or it's just, it's just not going to land. It's not going to play. People won't understand the emotions and won't understand all the layers that are happening in this one little moment. You have to do it this way. <laughs> I was just getting angry at anyone. Getting ang it. Angry at somebody else doing it, even <laughs> right. though nobody's done it. I love it. Oh, uh, And so I, after finally uh, finishing the book, I looked it up and someone did HBO Max this was back in 2019 did get picked up by uh, a couple of writers and I looked up their work and I was like, Oh man, I don't know if they're the right fit. Um, hopefully, because here's the thing with writers, you don't really always know who has what in them because sometimes you're just writing what you get paid for. And it's not really indicative of the quality of what you have inside you, right? We contain multitudes kind of thing. And so if you were to look at Craig Mazin, you know, his, his first movie was rocket man. I think that's the, the silly nineties film. Yeah. And if you were to watch that and then watch hangover two, which is another one of his scripts, uh, you'd be like, this guy is going to go and make Chernobyl. <laughs> you'd be like, Oh no way. Yeah. <laughs> like those yeah. aren't the same people, but no, he's, he's always been that good. You know, he just maybe didn't always have the opportunity. And so I'm really hoping if they do adapt it and right now, there's been no announcements and it's been in the, you know, wings for four years now. So I'm kind of hoping it lapses and maybe it can go wait another five or six years because I would devote five, seven years of my life into telling the story in, in an HBO style for, you know, four or five seasons. And I think it needs four or five seasons to do it justice. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, okay. I'm gushing. It's not going to be this to everyone. Um, it's a very feminist story. So uh, some guys might be turned off with certain elements of it, but I think it's super honest. It's super emotional uh, and it's incredibly written. The prose are phenomenal. Uh, the character building, the depth, the world building is all just a list. Um, yeah. So Cersei by Madeline Miller. Um, hopefully you find it pretty good. I don't think anyone's cool. going to love it the way I love it, but it's pretty good. And Jenny should read it if she hasn't already. She might have already. She hasn't mentioned it. Uh, I'll tell her. Yeah, she I think she would flip because I I, okay. I think she likes Greek mythology, too. Yeah, um, that's my impression. Oh, yeah. And so I know she loves uh, the Homer, you know, his writing. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I think she would love it. Um, okay. Yeah. Cool. So I think we both gushed about our echoes more than usual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's an artist spotlight today. Uh, this week we have Seth Allen. I will link his uh, he's a listener to the show, actually. He's We've done a few of his uh, requests. And uh, I'll link his Instagram. He's a painter. I mean, he's, a, he's a man of many trades. He's an actor. He's a writer. But he's also a painter. Um, and he, he does a lot with abstract. And seems like recently he's done a lot with geometric shapes. And I, I like his work a lot. You should go check it out. There's some really beautiful um, ideas and um, works that he's, he's doing. And I'm, I'm interested just to see him keep exploring because it feels like 
he keeps saying reinventing his style and um and i love painters who do that and who are like yeah i've been really obsessed with this thing lately and uh so i'm really loving what he's doing and great job seth uh, uh keep doing your thing man if you're an artist out there keep doing your thing and yeah yeah stay tuned for next week uh we will be covering as foreshadowed by Le todd uh miyazaki's and you know studio ghibli spirit of the way you know that's a it's a well-known little anime so we should do yeah. that. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget, subscribe, drop us a review. If you drop us a review and and do so with a request, we just might do it like we did The Secret of Kells. Uh, that was a, a listener request. So hope you enjoyed it. And uh, let us know if you want to drop us a note. You can do that on YouTube or on our website at thepestlepodcast.com slash The Secret of Kells. And our quote of the day today is from Jonathan Swift. May you live every day of your life. I think I pronounced that wrong. May you live every day of your life. Live as a verb. Yeah. Love it. So good. Love it. Irish author. And I just, you know, you, you think about the abbot and his good intentions, you know, uh, and then he spent so much of his re- life regretting all of it. Like... Uh, there was probably a better balance where he could have tried to defend everyone, but also figured out a way to exercise a little bit more wisdom um, in just his day to day. And uh, he got onto his deathbed and thought he ruined everything. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's hard being in that position of yeah. like yeah. care where you have to take care of everybody, you know? No. Yeah, absolutely adore it. Great quote. I would go into it, but I think we're yeah, running yeah, long on yeah, time. So sure. we'll cut it. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like people are stirring here yeah. in my end as well. Uh, but thank you guys so much. Thank you for the recommendation. Secret of Cal is fantastic. Hope you guys like this episode. And because uh, uh, we, as much as we loved watching the film and talking about it. And yes, make sure that you subscribe, review us everywhere that you get your podcast and share us with friends. It all helps a ton. And thank you for listening. Until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.